again. Welcome to the table. Um, and now that we've shared a meal together, we're going to take a little bit of time to think about and reflect on another meal, one that Jesus shared and that Luke records for us. And this kind of, and it's maybe evening series that we're doing on meals with Jesus is something that I'm really excited about, which you probably guessed here this morning. Um, and I hope it's going to be fun and life-giving and encouraging and challenging to you. Maybe you've heard me and people going on about the importance of shared meals in sharing the gospel. Or maybe it's something that you've never really thought about before. But hopefully, unless you're just new to the Kingdom Reignard, you're aware that this past season we've been focusing especially on community and going and developing that in our family. And shared meals are great for that. Who doesn't love a good meal eating with good friends? Jesus certainly did. So much so that a New Testament scholar called Robert Carrick said, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus either, is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. <laughs> he eats people a lot. And Luke, more than any of the other Gospel writers, emphasizes this. Jesus eating meals with people, telling stories and teaching around the meal table, reaching out to the outcasts there. And I think that this ties into the particular emphasis that he has on the present-day, real-life, physical nature of salvation. Salvation for Luke is, of course, the wonderful truth that God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him, to become his children, to have the sure and certain hope of eternity in his presence to look forward to. But it's so much more than that. Salvation and the kingdom of God coming on earth means also what Jesus reads in the synagogue in Nazareth, just as he's beginning his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover your sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those are physical, real life things, and they matter for this age, as well as for the future age when the kingdom is fully come. So, with that in mind, let's jump into the meal scene for tonight. And the first of the three meals that we'll be looking at over these evenings is narrated in Luke chapter 7, from verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, but she was a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debts of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? And he says to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
what I want us to do this evening is to trace the story focusing on a couple of different characters. And just a little side note, I think it's really significant that the gospel writers chose to tell us about Jesus in a narrative form. Stories are powerful. They connect and resonate with us, often far more than an abstract statement of the fact. They make things real for us. And when we put ourselves in the story, like we were doing before the summer as we started journeying through Exodus, we can understand them in a whole new way. I know back to the story at hand. Often this story is told from the kind of parallel version in John chapter 12, where Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany, and attention is drawn to the extravagance of her offering, sacrificing something of great value that was worth the average worker's yearly wages at that time, and pouring it out at Jesus' feet. That's not what I want to look at tonight, as challenging and as true as those insights are. I think Ruth is actually describing a different encounter. And I want us to focus first on the fact that this encounter happens at a meal. Luke says in verse 37 that the woman came because she learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, not just that he was present there. If we go back a little bit in the bigger story to Luke chapter 5, the last meal that Luke tells us about Jesus eating, <coughs> Jesus has seen Levi, the tax collector, sitting in his tax booth, and he calls him to follow him. And Levi immediately leaves everything, follows him, and he becomes one of Jesus' twelve disciples. And then he gives a great banquet for Jesus. And Jesus is sitting around eating with all these tax collectors and sinners, a social outcast. And the same verb in Greek, catechetai, that's used for kind of reclining at a meal, is used at that meal and at this meal in chapter 7. There's a connection between the two. Maybe the woman who came had heard about this meal with Levi and thought that another meal that Jesus was at was a good situation to approach him. Meals are significant anyway because of what they communicate about the people that we eat with. And especially in that culture, meals were like boundary markers, identifying who was part of the given community. And to an extent, that's still the case today. But for Jewish people, meals didn't just say something about your relationship with other people, but also about your relationship with God. That's why the Pharisees, who were known for their really strict table purity laws, are so shocked that Jesus would eat with tax collectors and sinners. They aren't pure, just like this woman. So let's focus on, focus on her for a bit. Luke doesn't name her, but what are we told about her? Verse 37, she's a sinner. That is an outsider, an uninvited guest. And especially at this meal that's hosted by a Pharisee. She's someone who upsets the purity requirements and disturbs the social norms and expectations. You couldn't get much more unwanted. But then it gets worse. Verse 38, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. In our context, the woman's action sounds kind of strange, but not much more than that, really. In her world, what she did was scandalous. Letting her hair down like that was like appearing topless in public today. In a lot of meals in the Greco-Roman world, women were only present to provide entertainment, which was often sexual. And Jewish meals, of course, weren't quite like that. But it's likely that the other guests would still have interpreted the women's actions as erotic. And so we see that Simon and the other guests react just as one would expect. They're shocked. And they begin to question Jesus' character, or whether he's really a prophet. Why would someone like him allow that sort of behavior? But what's Jesus' response? <clears throat> he, in typical fashion, tells a story to get his point across. Two men owe money to a third. 
one ten times as much as the other. And they both have their debts cancelled. Which one will love them more? The one with the bigger debt. And Simon answers correctly, greater forgiveness leads to greater love. And Jesus then applies the same principles to the woman. Her scandalous actions are in fact a display of her great love as a result of her forgiveness by Jesus. Which means that she's already forgiven when she enters the room. We could imagine that maybe she had a previous encounter with Jesus in which he declared her forgiven. And we don't know because of Jesus not to tell us. She's forgiven, but to the rest of society, Simon and other guests of the meal, she's still seen as a sinner. By welcoming her to the meal, Jesus proclaims her status change from outcast and sinner to one welcomed and forgiven in front of the wider society. At the meal, she's welcomed by Jesus and included in community. She experiences more of the fullness of what it actually means for her to be forgiven. I think that we can easily over-spiritualize salvation. Who doesn't do that? It's more than just a spiritual experience, as if that could be separated from our physical nature as humans. Forgiveness and salvation for the woman also has to include her rehabilitation back into the community. It's not just spiritual, it's also physical, practical, social. Jesus came to save the whole person. And Luke actually uses the same Greek word for to save here, as he does in the next chapter when he's talking about the healing of the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Physical healing and forgiveness both reflect the salvation that Jesus has come to bring as he ushers in the new kingdom. We talk a lot in Vineyard about the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. And I think that it's so important that we do that because although there is, of course, a future aspect to salvation, it's not just future focus, it matters for life in the present. Part of what it means for the women to be saved is to be included again in community here and now. And the meal is a perfect place to do that. The meal acts out salvation, allowing her to experience the reality of her forgiveness and acceptance as she participates in the community. There's both a wonderful promise and a challenge to us here. Coming to Jesus means salvation and forgiveness, and that means home. It means community. It means transformation both now and in the future. We get to experience that. But then we also have to live it out, to be that home and that community that welcomes others regardless of how society sees them. Now we're down to Jesus' hands and feet and body on earth. And we get to help others experience the forgiveness and welcome that Father God offers in a physical, tangible, real-life sort of way. Let's clear up the misconception among so many onlookers of churches that faith is an abstract thing that doesn't affect real life, or that it only matters for our eternal future after death. Life now matters to God. And all that facts are welcome into the community. And now let's turn to Simon and Pharisee and think about him for a little bit. As Christians, we love to look down on Pharisees. Their behavior is so often our model to avoid. But I have to say that I feel sorry for Simon. A big part of his problem is that he's so conditioned by his culture. He invites Jesus, this religious teacher who's causing such a stir over for dinner. And there's no hint here, as there is in some interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees, that he's out to trick Jesus up or trick him. But then his nice, comfortable meal with all his friends and invited guests is interrupted by this woman and her scandalous behavior. And Tim Chester, who's written a really great book, um, this one here, and he has um, He describes <coughs> the modern version of the, of the encounter. Imagine you're at a dinner party. The host is a respectable church leader 
and their local councilman who lives in one of the big houses on the far side of town. Tonight the dinner party is in honor of a visiting speaker. And you're glad to have been invited because there's a lot to talk about this man. He's been causing something of a stir with his radical views. Some people won't have anything to do with him, but you've got an open mind. And so is the host of the dinner party. You've talked about it together. Maybe there are some things you could learn from him. So it's good to have an opportunity to meet him, to find out what he's really like. You hear the doorbell and think nothing of it until a woman pushes her way into the room. You can see the despairing face of the host's wife over her shoulder. This new arrival is wearing a tight fitting blouse with a low cleavage, a skirt that's way too short and stiletto shoes. She's painted up to the nines and totters slightly as she walks, probably because she's had one drink too many. She looks like the sort of woman who stands on the street corners looking for company. She goes straight to the visiting speaker and throws her arms around him, clasping, clasping his head to her bosom. I'm nervous, you're her humble. I'll always be yours. She begins to massage his shoulders. It's then that you notice she's crying, her mascara streaking down her cheek. <coughs> Everyone in the room seems to breathe. What a thing for a respectable person to have to endure. You feel for her, how embarrassing. But instead of pushing her away, he reaches up and puts his arm around her. He says something to her which sounds like, and you're mine. But he can't say that. It's always what kind of woman she is. He can surely see that for himself. He ought to show some discernment. What would people think? What will she think? She might get the wrong end of the stick. She might think it's a come one. But then maybe it is. Maybe he's one of her customers. It's pretty clear this visiting speaker has some big problems. I think hearing it like that suddenly makes Simon's reaction seem much more understandable. It was an entirely natural or culturally appropriate response. But it wasn't the right response. What I love about this story, though, is that doesn't just offer, Jesus doesn't just offer his transforming power and forgiveness to the woman. He offers it to Simon as well. I think his question to Simon in verse 44 is really important. Do you see this woman here? Do you see her the way I see her? Do you want to? Do you want to have your eyes open, your mind enlightened? Do you want to change your way of thinking? Which, incidentally, is the literal meaning of the Greek word to repent. And then Jesus goes on to point out to Simon the full path that he's made as host. He hasn't really carried out his job properly. He's not provided water for Jesus to wash his feet, or oil for his head, or grease to lick it. He hasn't properly welcomed Jesus. The woman, on the other hand, has gone above and beyond, and she wasn't even an invited guest, let alone the host of the meal. Simon has been conditioned by his culture and by his own sinful nature and pride to look down on people like this woman, to say, yes, you can come for dinner, but there's a dress code and a code of conduct, and you better mind your manners. You can come, but you have to come as we are. Listen to what Tim Chester says. Whenever we look down on someone for being smelly or disorganized or lazy or emotional or promiscuous or socially inept or bitter, then we're like grace with Simon. And if we look down on people for not understanding grace, then we're like grace with Simon. If you're thinking about how this applies to someone else, then you're like Simon. Jesus says to us, if you look down on others, you love the people because you understand so little of your sin and my grace. Ouch. <laughs> And I can say from the experience of the past couple of months that it's very, very easy to think that you're someone who acts with grace, 
until suddenly you get to choose the people that you're spending some of your week with. <laughs> but even here we have hope, because this invitation to transformation is not just offered to the woman, the outcast, the non-Christian. It's offered to Simon, who thought that he was okay with God, that he was an insider, but he acted so graciously towards the woman. Jesus asked him, do you see this woman? He invites him to see things in a new light, through kingdom light, perhaps to fulfill the fancy through grace he allowed. And yet there's a challenge to change his way of thinking, because the kingdom of God always comes with that challenge. But in that challenge, there's an invitation to true community, unconditional welcome, fullness of life, transformation at the meal. Doesn't that sound pretty good? So where do we go from here? We've seen just in this one instance how Jesus' behavior at the meal table is an offer of salvation and transformation. An extending of community and fullness of life, both to the women and to Simon Pharisee, and back to the culture at large. The meal offers a foretaste of his kingdom to all who participate. And each individual's story is unique. We're not told how Simon responds. We've got to leave things a little open ended. And that means that as we put ourselves in the story, we get to carry on and choose our own ending, our own response. Tonight we begin as a community who says, come as you are. I wonder how much are we living like that outside of here? What, for example, does our attitude and action in response to the refugee crisis say about us? Are we melted and broken by grace? Are we continually struck by God's grace to us? Are we embodying that in our relationships and friendships? Relating to people as fellow sinners, are we acting out in our shared meals? Because to quote Jim Chester one more time, this is what church is to be—a community of broken people finding family around a meal under the tree of Calvary. so much for the welcome that you offer. I thank you that even when we forget the depth of our sin and our need for you, when we look down on others and think we were better, that you never stop reaching out that. You never, you know, never stop reaching out that invitation. to worship you for your great grace and love.